Hi, and welcome to Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we watched and we'll be talking about E.T. Jan, do you want to tell us a bit about this movie? I sure do. E.T. is a 1982 film. It was directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Melissa Matheson. It stars Henry Thomas D. Wallace, Peter Coyote, Robert McNaughton, Drew Barrymore, and Pat Walsh. Among a few others. What, pray tell, Paul, is the plot of E. The extraterrestrial. A group of alien botanists land on Earth and then leave one of their member behind. He finds and makes friends with ten-year-old Elliot, and eventually the whole family comes together to help and protect E.T. The government tries to help, but only makes things worse. But E.T. builds a machine to contact his people who return and take him away. Yep, that's it. That's the plot of E.T. I think so, right? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, objectively speaking, as much (laughs) as we can, how good of a movie is E.T., the extraterrestrial? I mean, like, come on. Yeah, I know. Like, it's Steven Spielberg. It's, I think it's listed on lists of the top hundred movies of all time. It's good. I must say, watching this, you know going into it, like, Steven Spielberg, you know, he's known as being a good director or whatever. (laughs) But really, really, watching it and, like, every, almost every single shot, every single moment... You could just pause it right there and deconstruct the shot. Yeah. And how he works with light and with framing and with the people and where they're standing. Like, it's unbelievable how good he can do. And especially how good he can do with child actors. Yeah. I, there's definitely, there are a lot of things about this movie that we could talk about in terms of the quality, but just the visual aspect of directing is what stood out to me on this watch. Mm -hmm. That there are many shots from this movie that are extremely iconic. Mm -hmm. Most famously, of course, the silhouette of Elliot and E.T. as they fly across the moon. Mm -hmm. But like... A lot of other ones, too. Like, when he's walking towards the shed, I didn't know that that was... Like, I wouldn't have named it as an iconic E.T. shot until it was there on the screen. And I was like, oh, man. (laughs) Is this so well composed? Yeah. And, like, ones that aren't... So all the famous ones deserve to be. And then ones that aren't famous. There's one moment where Elliot is, like, looking at E.T. through a window and the you see Elliot's face and then you see his reflection in the window and two different angles on his face. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a well-composed, visually shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think the child actors are good. When we talked about Hocus Pocus, I asked if you would have 
expected Thora Birch to be a famous person if you had watched only that movie. Now, if you watch only E.T., would you have expected Drew Barrymore to go on to be famous, I think? Way more. Way more, right? Like, she's really good. And, like, I don't know how they got her to do so much crying. Like, I'm a little actually afraid of how much what they did to her. But, like, she cries so well. She delivers these great little lines. Yeah. And, I mean, they're shot well. And so you can see where they put the camera just on her. For her line. Yep. So she's not doing a ton of reacting, but every line she says is so good and so funny and just like, wow, she's, yeah, she's Drew Barrymore. It's just an interesting kind of question that based off entirely this performance, you would be like, oh, that kid's gonna go somewhere. Yep. I think. I'd say so. Although you would have said that about Elliot and he's not so much. Yeah, I agree. He went on to other things. Like, it's not like he dropped off the face of the earth or anything. But uh, he he's fantastic. His his uh, his performance in this is so good and so nuanced. And I mean, to get kids to express genuine emotion is really hard. And you we just have so many examples of bad, so many yep. bad examples of that. <laughs> and this is not one of them. I feel like honestly. Uh, getting kids to express real emotion, getting kids to express real sadness is really hard. Just as hard is getting kids to express real spontaneity. Yeah. Like, the scene at the beginning where the kids are hanging out and playing D&D. Mm-hmm. That impressed me just as much as the deep emotion, because it feels like he just set up a camera while some kids were playing D&D, which maybe he, maybe he said play some D&D and I'll record it for all, you know, who yeah. knows. But it's so naturalistic and it helps a lot for the effect of the movie. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Drew Barrymore's lines too are delivered so uh, naturalistically. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a lot in the director. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's hard to get out of a kid, I think. Mm-hmm. Even more than genuine emotion is genuine relaxed casualness. Yeah, exactly. And what we've said again and again is we don't blame the actors, we blame the directors because direct good directors can get good performances even out of kids and this proves it. Yep. So, yeah. Um, so E.T. is good. So E.T. is good, objectively. How about non-objectively? How much do you enjoy this movie? What's your pers- a little bit like, what's your personal history with it? What I do you think... think of it? As far as I know, this is the second time I've seen E.T. Mm-hmm. Beginning to end. I saw it when I was a kid. Like, it came out in 1982, which is the year I was born. Mm-hmm. So, I probably saw it quite young. Yeah. I remember all the iconic moments. I, more than anything, what I remember from my experience watching the movie, n- not from clips of it or parodies of it or being told about it i remember the big plastic hallways mm-hmm. that is such same here a deep memory for me of what this movie is like and i was expecting my memory is of the adults being like monstrous and i'm watching it this time I'm like they are not doing the right thing but they're well-intentioned and trying to you know help et but my understanding of it when I watched it as a kid was like, 
they are horrible, inhuman, faceless government officials who are dissecting him for and deliberately killing him out of cruelty and curiosity. Yep, that is exactly my memory of it as well. Right. Is that the? I was really surprised watching it this time how sympathetic the adults were. Yeah. When, yeah, as a kid, those adults were all horrible. And, like, they set it up a little bit when they first walk in in their spacesuits. Yes. They're very frightening. And so, as a kid, they just stayed that way. Yep. Whereas, watching it now, I'm like, oh, they do get actually... They're not there to kill him. They're there to save him. Yeah. What's your experience with, I mean, you're partly said it, but. Well, my experience, like E.T., like you said, I mean, it came out the year before I was born. And uh, so I didn't see it in theaters or anything, but I think I've only seen it the one time, which was when my family first got a VCR. Hmm. The first movie we rented was. E.T. And so I think that was probably, I was probably five, four or five, pretty young. And that's probably why my memories of it are so scared and that it was a scary movie to me. And I knew, I mean, I'd seen so many classic shots from it. So many, you know, it's one of those movies that you just see bits of it all the time. Yeah. You know, all the classic moments from it. So watching it, like coming up to watching it this time, uh, our oldest mentioned something about a friend watching it. And I was like, oh yeah, E.T. Isn't that scary? Isn't that too scary? And then, so I like, <laughs> I just kind of looked it up online a little bit. I always often check common sense media for kind of a general guideline. And its guideline was seven. And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is E.T. like a real kids movie? Like, is it okay for, for kids? So yeah, it totally. Well, we'll talk yeah, about we'll that talk a little at the more end of the about podcast, that. But but like, I was surprised to see that, and so then I was like, okay, let's watch it. And yeah, so I mean, going into it, I had not a good sense of what it was about. I had the same sense of you of what I. The two things that I remembered from it were, uh, the hallway with him, all the plastic sheeting everywhere which I felt for some reason was in the woods. I was really surprised that it was in their house this time. <laughs> and him, the phone home thing. Mm. But maybe that's just because I've seen that so many times elsewhere. I feel like I really remember the flying bicycles and yeah. the plastic hallways. And I the flying bicycles, I have no confidence that I remember that from when I watched it. Yeah. Because I've seen it lots of times since then mm-hmm. in isolation. Yeah, exactly. I said my history of it, but I didn't actually say how much I enjoyed it right. this time, which is quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it, uh, the pacing, what we are used to in the pacing of movies has changed since this movie was made. Absolutely. And so it's paced a little slow for the style and taste of 2018 and for the pacing that I'm used to, especially in a kid's movie. But I enjoyed it. Yeah. I liked the pacing, actually. I thought it was uh, it was slower than usual, but it wasn't so slow that it was boring to me. And I felt like it was a nice, it was more of a gentle movie for our kids up until he dies. And then I felt like, okay, get to the point where he's not dead. Yeah. Because I knew that was coming. And so I kind of had to reassure our kids a little bit that like, he's going to be okay. He's not actually dead. 
Both our kids were really upset when he died. Because they were, yeah, they were super upset. They thought he was dead forever. And yep. that's the other, like, in terms of my experience of the movie, I, maybe because I am so familiar with what happens in the movie that it was hard to suspend that. But I'll say, like, his I was not moved by his death at all. No? Oh, I Our totally kids was. were. I totally was. Mm-hmm. I was moved because the kid, the the kids within the movie were moved. Right. I just had Watching a hard time emotion, like intellectually I didn't, but emotionally I wasn't engaged because I couldn't uh, forget that like he's coming back like any minute. So Paul didn't cry, but Jan did. <laughs> what is this world that we are in? I don't know. <laughs> Not a, I didn't cry. I didn't like almost. Wow. <laughs> That's, sad Paul um yeah that that I definitely didn't remember I remember this movie being like scary and sad I definitely thought that the sad part was when he leaves him in the forest when he goes back to his home world Hmm. I thought that was the sad part and so for him to die I was like what I guess that's the sad part right (laughs) um so, should we get into the way, way, way too seriously part of our show? Let's do that. All right. Where would you like to begin? Why don't we start by talking about the mother in this movie? Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, like, there's maybe a few directions to come at uh, to talk about her. But famously, E.T. is one of the quintessential examples held up now of 80s movies where the kids are just left alone most of the time mm-hmm. and the parents are neglectful by today's say, uh, yeah by today's standards but by today's standards i'm not calling i'm not accusing her of neglect but i'm saying it's held up as an example of like man remember in the 80s when parents just like did not care and left the kids alone all the time in movies like the goonies and et and it gets like Stranger Things is reproducing that, where the kids can have adventures because the parents are don't care about them at all, right? Yeah. And I, there's an aspect of, uh, certainly, the kids get left alone a lot more than uh, would be, pl- would be uh, plausible in a 2018 movie. Mm-hmm. And like, Elliot is sick, and his mom goes to work and leaves him home alone, and so he gets to have you know, a day of adventure with E.T. Yep. And then there's another part where uh, Elliot is drunk at school yes. for reasons. Uh, and the mom has to go pick him up and she leaves Gertie home alone. Mm-hmm. Gertie, who is supposed to be, what, like five? Yep. Uh, those, I think, are like partly just the... um about the expectations of the era, mm-hmm. but not entirely. They're about this particular mother's particular issues, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's it's interesting because, yeah, you can watch that and think certain things, but clearly she's got a defi- very defined personality. She's she not does. just generic mom of kids. She's a recent divorcee. Or she doesn't even say divorce. She says separated. separated. Yeah. But her husband has gone off to Mexico with a new woman. Yeah. So she's dealing with single motherhood 
very recently. Yeah. So her having to leave the kids alone to go and do things, to handle things, is obviously a very new thing to her. Yeah. So she's really struggling. And we see her struggling, like, visibly. We see her crying over her husband being in Mexico. And the th- there are moments where she's leaving the kids, where, like, it is not, I think... I said all that in the preamble, but I think in the movie itself, it is not, like, oh, the 80s when no one cared about kids. It is, this particular mom doesn't have a lot of options. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And she's overwhelmed and has dealing with her own issues and is trying to do her best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and her best is sometimes not good enough. Yeah. In a kind of realistic way that none of our, as parents, none of our best is ever as good as we want it to be. Mm-hmm. We all have times. Uh, honestly, I have more times, much more than I would like, where my best is not good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I really, really like this mother for as a representation of parenting and then also as a representation of motherhood particularly which isn't exactly the same thing mm-hmm. that and this is uh covering ground that we talked about a little bit in our episode about next gen if you heard that one that i said in that episode we don't see a lot on screen of mediocre mothers yeah we see wonderful sacrifice everything for the sake of your child mothers and we see monstrous uh cruel mother Mother, gothel mother gothel exactly this mother like the mother in next gen and for kind of similar reasons she's doing her best and her best isn't always great but it's her best yeah i really really like that Mm mm-hmm I really like that it shows that there's not just a dichotomy. Like, there's a good mother or bad mother and nothing, no area in between when it's, and it show and it, feel, it makes it feel like especially women have to live up to this ideal or they are a monster. Exactly. And so showing layers and showing mothers who are in between and who are not neglectful monsters or anything, they're just struggling and doing their best. And the kids are not suffering they're just, they still have a mother who loves them and is, is taking care of them. But, but she just, also has her own issues. But she also has her own issues. My, one of my favorite moments that exemplifies that as like, uh, she's doing her best and her best is not as good as she wants it to be in a very realistic way, is when... <laughs> when... Elliot calls his brother Michael penis breath <laughs> and she tries to scold him but laughs. Yes. That is a beautiful moment. Right? Because it's so, tr- so realistic. That's so just realistic. such a good moment of like, that's not a moment of scarring your kid by neglect at all. Even, you know, at yeah. all. But she, what she wants to be is, Elliot, don't say, like, how dare you say such things? But even I can't say it without smiling laughing yeah exactly Elliot, don't use that language and say bad words and say call your brother names but it was funny and so she laughs and that's this like layers and nuance that we see so rarely out of parents and out of mothers especially yeah 
Exactly. And especially when the movie isn't about her. Yes, exactly. exactly. The movie's about the kids. She just passes through it. Mm -hmm. But she gets so much nuance. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about way too seriously? Well, I wanted to talk about a little bit just about the themes of this movie and about how it's a... It's a coming-of-age story. It's a loss story. It's this mm-hmm. child who's recently lost his father, and not to death, but to to leaving, to abandonment. Yeah. And and he finds this other, this friend who, and then his friend leaves. Yep. And so it's this whole journey of loss again and learning to cope with it and learning that he'll always be with him. And certainly what I didn't remember watching this coming into this was this, like, psychic connection between the two of them. Yeah, me neither. E.T. also, just about the lost theme, like, Elliot is abandoned by his father, and I think uh, not all parents who are divorced, one of them abandons, but it's clear in the movie that my dad would understand. Maybe you should talk to your dad. I can't. He's in Mexico with his new girl. Yeah. Like... In Elliot's life, his dad might not be abandoning, abandoning, but in this movie, he is. Yeah, exactly. The beginning of the movie, he needs and wants his father and can't have him because his father has left the yeah. country, right? So just to be clear, like, abandon. Let's say that. Yeah. And then he's abandoned in a less harsh way, but he is abandoned by E.T. at the end of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, the other thing that is in this theme is that E.T. himself is abandoned. Yes. So that... E.T. is both someone who empathizes with Elliot because he also is abandoned, and also, so he's a stand-in for Elliot, and he's Mm -hmm. also a stand-in for Elliot's father, someone who abandons Elliot and leaves him behind. He's both at the same time. Yeah, exactly. What, um, what think sets this apart from other... 80s movies of its time that were about like these kids and the older kid and the younger kid is that Michael, the older brother, acts bullyish and act and he has these friends who are kind of all a little gang together, but isn't mean. He's along with them. He's a friend to Elliot. He's not like it's not just this one dimensional bully older brother, which I really thought it was going to be when the movie first started. And then I was surprised that when he introduced him to E.T., because all I remembered was Gertie. He gets, Michael gets kinder through the movie. Yes, absolutely. I think that's not a accident. Or, I mean, I know it's not an accident. But, like, I don't think that's an abrupt change in his characterization. I think it's about him, uh, as he says at the beginning of the movie, Dad's gone, think about someone else's feelings. Mm-hmm. And he takes his own advice. Yeah, exactly. And we see that happening, right? Mm-hmm. He's another example, like the mother, of someone who isn't the focus of the movie, but has their own stuff going on, and we kind of see the effect of that. We just see his character growing through the movie, even though we haven't seen everything that uh, causes those changes. Exactly. And I think that that's what makes this movie so great, is things like that, like the the mother and the just like everyone is a two is a three-dimensional character (laughs) every everyone even including the guy who never gets named with the keys who's like the alien i've always wanted to meet an alien ever since i was 10 right he gets like layers he's not the bad guy at all no 
and all the human uh, humans, all the adults. And we said this when we were talking about our experience of it, but maybe here in the way too seriously is a, another time to touch back on it. There isn't a villain in this movie. No. There are antagonists structurally. Yeah. That is, people who fulfill a role of what their goal is is the opposite of what the protagonist's goal is. But they're not villains. Mm-hmm. And they genuinely want what's best for E.T. and what's best, like, they want to help E.T. They want to help Elliot. I didn't read that at all when I was a kid, but mm-hmm. as an adult, they're all well-intentioned. And there's two things to kind of come of that, I think, thematically. And one is, it's part of good writing that uh the villains don't think that they're the villain Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that everybody has to always be altruistically motivated but like giving a little bit of that sense of why are they doing this they think they have good reason right yeah and to get that across is just part of thinking of characters as people instead of as plot devices Mm -hmm. exactly the other thing is there's a philosophical expression of like uh their good intentions don't matter Mm. right yeah uh in one sense their good intentions do matter to the movie and to the sense of who people are and their three-dimensionality and whatever there's another sense that, like, Elliot says, stop it, you're killing them, him, and all the adults ignore him because they think they know better, because they're well-intentioned, but their well-intentionedness would not have helped and doesn't help and does kill E.T., and it's a parable about good intentions don't make good actions. Mm. Yep. And what makes good actions? This is another thing about the parable of the movie. Like, we talked about the psychic link between E.T. and Elliot. And there's a moment when the adults are interviewing Michael and asking him about the connection between E.T. and Elliot. And Michael says, He's smart. He communicates through Elliot. What does all this mean? Elliot thinks it's thoughts. No, Elliot. Elliot feels his feelings. That the connection between Elliot and E.T. isn't intellectual. It's emotional. And what the adults are missing is not good intention, and it's not knowledge. This isn't actually a story of they don't know that penicillin is poisonous to aliens, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that they don't have knowledge. It's that they don't have empathy. Mm. Because if they did, they would react to how Elliot feels. Yes. And change what they're doing based on how Elliot feels. So this Mm. is a movie about the importance of emotion and that Elliot and E.T.'s connection is based on emotion, not on reason. Mm -hmm. That's a really great point. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that we are trying to do with our movies is rate them for an age. Um... I said earlier that Common Sense Media rates this as uh, acceptable for seven plus. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Would you agree with that? <sighs> I don't think in terms of scariness, I don't think 
there's anything inappropriate. It, it's creepy near the beginning when you don't know if E.T. is good. Yes. But you get pretty quickly that E.T. is interested in plants. Mm-hmm. Right? Which might make him a little bit eerie, but it's like... Even for kids, pretty mild creepiness. Yeah. I think they do an admirable job, actually, at making him strange and unusual in the beginning and with his fingers going around the door and stuff without making him frightening. Mm-hmm. Or very, only a little bit frightening. He's a little bit frightening. Like, our youngest was a little nervous. Yeah. N- nervous, not scared. Yeah. And it would be very easy, I think, to get that tone wrong in mm-hmm. the direction of too scary. Yes, absolutely. I once was trying to tell a spooky story to our kids no. <laughs> <laughs> when they were in the bath. And I told a story about uh, like monster that nibbles on ears when it's dark. And I thought that was silly enough because ears but and like i don't think it's bit there was no like nothing violence then i turned off the light (laughs) for like half a second for like flick flick but like then our kid was scared of being alone in the bathroom for like four years yeah thanks for that (laughs) so that's an example of me doing my best and my best was not nearly good enough uh and i apologize so many times anyway but the point is, it's easy to get that uh, just a little bit wrong and it, for it to be terrifying. Yep. Atmosphere and tone. There's swear words in this movie. Mm-hmm. A few. Michael swears a couple of times. Yep. I'm more sensitive, I think, than most people are to language. Yeah. There's also, I mean, E.T. dies, he comes back, but there's a long time, there's a good ten minutes where you think he's dead. And that is some, it can be hard to handle for some kids. Yeah. And it can be emotionally difficult. So, I would basically rate it seven or eight. Yeah. Except that I wished the lang- that the language was milder. Yeah. That is, it's weirdly inappropriate. I wished that those couple of, like, two times that Michael swears. Mm. And, like, I wish that he didn't. Yeah. I know we watched, uh, because it's what's available, uh, the 2002 remastered, reissued version. Mm-hmm. And there's a change In this version. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think we should because, I mean, there's the changes to the, to E.T., the CGI-ness, which I do not like. But the major change is with all of the cops and, uh, like, officials and stuff, they change anytime there's a gun, they have digitally changed it to a walkie-talkie. Mm-hmm. And that is interesting. It was controversial. Yeah. And I can really see where it's controversial. I I really see both sides because I don't think that they should have guns aimed at children and be tapping on a window with a gun. However, 
police really do have guns. Mm-hmm. These people really would have guns. Yep. And they did in the movie. Yep. So to go back and erase that and to change it is to say, like, we... It's, what like, not whitewashing, but sanitizing history. Boulderizing is the term. Do you know that term? Boulderizing, did you say? Yeah. Oh, I've never heard it that. It comes from 19th century uh, publisher of Shakespeare who published Shakespeare tragedies with all the happy, with happy endings instead. <laughs> I think it was Henry Boulder. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I'm not a Shakespearean or a Victorianist. If it was medieval, you could quote me on it as an authority. This is just something I have heard people say. <laughs> <laughs> Need to put that caveat out there. But yeah. He, like, published King Lear, but uh, it ends happily. <laughs> like, she, they, she doesn't die. The What's her name? Cordelia. Cordelia. Doesn't die at the end. And, like, Romeo and Juliet, but they end up together. That'd be nice. <laughs> See? <laughs> so, boulderizing is, like sanitizing and making things that have existed in the past a little softer and nicer. Mm-hmm. And it's with a lot of contempt that people say boulderizing because it robs, I mean, in the Shakespeare example, if Romeo and Juliet end up together, it robs the play of its meaning. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Changing the guns into walkie-talkies maybe doesn't rob the movie of its meaning, except that it kind of does the theme of, like, the adult's intervention is well-intentioned but harmful. Yeah. And taking it into walkie-talkies makes it less harmful, mm-hmm. which just weakens that idea. Yeah. That they do go after them with guns because they are approaching it the way they always approach things. And the way they always approach things is going to make things worse, even though they are good people who are well-intentioned. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. But on the other hand... <laughs> Can we just have fewer guns? <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. You can when you can digitally replace the actual guns with uh, walkie-talkies. That'd then, be nice. Then check back in with me. Yeah. So, is it good? Is it seriously good? It's good. It's good. It's absolutely a hundred percent good. Like, does it uh, hold up? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. We didn't mention, in terms of seriously good, we didn't mention that it does pass the Bechdel test. The mother and daughter do have conversations, but not very much of a conversation. Yeah. And it's mostly boys in this movie. Yeah. And it's super white. There's one police officer. He is not even named. Not even named, who is not white. No. And other than that. Yeah. Yep. So, in light of those two things and then all the other stuff that we've talked about is it seriously good i the case for the strongest case for it being seriously good i think is everything we said about the mother and everything we said about the fully fleshed characters yeah i feel like i am not willing i am not I would really have to be argued to call it anything less than seriously medium good. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to make up my mind to myself is between medium and good. Yeah. Like in that scale. I think it's seriously good. I can be persuaded of that. Yeah. I think that E.T. is both good and seriously good. All right. 
You are persuaded? I'm persuaded. All right. <laughs> Gets our official stamp of good and seriously good. Added wow. to the list of like however many movies we have that are that are that. It feels like there's a lot lately. We need to be meaner to movies. No, we don't. <laughs> Maybe we do. I think there's less than you think there are. Hmm. <laughs> so... If you have thoughts on E.T., if you saw it as a child or as an adult or never saw it at all, why are you listening to this? Um, Or saw it in a drive-in when you were a kid. Then give us a shout on Twitter at WTScast. You can send us an email, waytoseriouslycast at gmail.com for all of your alien thoughts and human thoughts. And (laughs) I guess he's not called an alien. He's an extraterrestrial. Yeah, that's an interesting, I mean... We're doing the wrap-up, so I'm not going to build on it. But, like, there's a difference between an extraterrestrial and an alien. Hmm. Interesting. Well, okay. maybe the, if people want to know your thoughts on that, they can at you, at that palm off it. They can. <laughs> if you love what we do, if you like what we do, if you sort of think what we do is okay, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Give us uh, some money at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. And uh, what else do we say here? Oh, we're on um, Instagram, which Paul has been doing some sketches lately every once in a while. (laughs) So if you want to check some of those out, that link is in our show notes. I think it's just WTScast, right? Probably. Probably. I think so. Anyway... We're also said, on... You said in the last... The episode that came out the day we recorded this is Tangled. And I was at listening to it, editing it today. And you say in the walkout to that one, like, Paul recently did a sketch of Spider-Man. And he's probably going to have more by the time this one comes out. And he's been doing that all the time. And then now we're here. And I'm like, I haven't done one since Spider-Man, I think. <laughs> but I will. Do some sketches. I don't know. Any random sketch is fine. You know. Yeah. It's cool. Sorry. What were you saying? (laughs) Instagram. Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, all those things. The links are in our show notes. Just, you know, go down there, scroll down, scroll over, however you get to the show notes in your podcast player of choice and find out where we are. Click some things. Do some stuff. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. And... Beam me up, Scotty. This is reality. Right. <laughs> <laughs>